All right, hey everyone, welcome to another episode, our 50th episode of Off the Pulpit. My name is Eugene. I'm Jason. I'm Thomas. We're three pastors and three friends conversing on life, culture, and church off the pulpit. I'm really excited to have you. Uh, it's our 50th episode. Really excited to do this. Uh, most of our episodes just kind of be a reflection of how we got to 50 episodes and just to stay the church uh, from how we started till then. But as usual, we'll start with our mailbag. So if you have any questions for us, feel free to Instagram DM us on uh, at off the pulpit. But first and foremost, one question that we got for all of us. Uh, interesting question. Do pastors rehearse their sermons? So maybe personally, do you guys do that? And then culturally, do you feel like that's a norm within our church, churches in our circles? I do not rehearse my sermons. Uh, I don't think so. I, I, I'll like actually like, as I'm prepping it, I'll kind of like, ah, I, I think I kind of, I guess I just, I don't do it like it's the real thing. Yeah. But I will kind of like rehearse it a lot in my head and yeah. walk through it a lot. Yeah. Got it. In Talbot, the seminar I went to, I remember one of the classes was you had to like watch video of yourself preaching. And after that, I was like, I, I just got to preach one time and that's good. So that's just me. I do know of other pastors rehearsing it. Like literally, I know some do it in front of their spouses. That's like, God bless their wives or husbands in Jason's case. But um, like in that, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't think we do that. So just 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 uh, laying it out there. Another question we got was uh, just to give context. There's a book called Reparations, uh, authored by Duke Kwan that, uh, and I also Gregory Thompson that got a lot of buzz a couple of years ago. But uh, what are your general thoughts on reparations? Uh, also, can we get Duke Kwan on the pod? So I actually like I started but never finished the book. Tom, I know you read it through it, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Jason, did you read through it too? I read through it as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. I guess for you guys, what are your what are your I guess reactions for the book? for our listeners i liked it um i thought it was a really important book um i actually had never to be honest um as much as we've talked about racial justice um in our community i actually had never thought about it in terms of reparations Mm. um and so the book was really helpful in kind of outlining what that could look like um yeah, I would love to have Duquan on because I, I do have like, I would love to kind of ask questions. Um, and we as a community, um, a few people in our community who've read the book as well, we've kind of talked about it as well to to talk through like, what could that even look like? You know, is do we really think that that is possible? Um, but But at least in helping me to understand it from a historical perspective, that was really helpful. Nice. Tom, any, any yeah, thoughts on your end? Yeah, I liked it too. I thought um, they did a really good job not just explaining um, the need for like uh, the racial injustice and to pay attention to that, but the reparation part, that seemed to be their big thing. And I thought there's a lot of biblical basis for it. And that's something that people don't talk about a lot. The only thing I didn't, like the one criticism I had was it didn't really have a lot of practical ways of what that looks like mm-hmm. in a local context. I feel like it was still a little conceptual, or even at a national context, they talked about it. But locally, like, what are we supposed to do with reparation? It seemed to still be um, lacking. But apart from that, I thought it was a great book. If Duke is listening, probably not. We would love to have you on. So please, we would love to talk about it with you. So yeah, we would love to have Duke on. If you know him, actually, there's, there's a church member that does know him. But if you do know him, let us know. Uh, another question we got. 
Um, what are some ways we can argue well as believers? And we keep getting asked this, but same question. Do you guys ever argue with each other? Because it doesn't seem like it. But I guess for the first part, yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I guess just within the larger capital T church body, what are ways we can argue well in person or online uh, in this very divisive time that we're living in? So any thoughts to that? I feel like one thing that we can do that's kind of missing is a genuine curiosity, mm. like to learn from each other. Um, I feel like oftentimes the back and forth that you see from different tribes that you argue with, it's more rhetorical questions or you're kind of baiting them and trying to get them in a corner so that you could correct them. And again, you know, you're going to have your disagreements, but I feel like, you know, like how did they come to that conclusion? Because they're looking at the same data as you. And I feel like for a lot of us, we tend to think, oh, they didn't read this passage in the Bible. So that's why they came to that conclusion. Yeah. And most of the time it's like, no, nah, man, like they, they have the exact same data as you, but if somehow they landed somewhere differently. And to me, like, I kind of become more curious, like, well, how did you land there? Like, what made you kind of come to that conclusion? And so that's where even for like, you know, for us, uh, we kind of if we land in different places, I feel like the natural posture is curiosity, um, probably because we give each other benefit of doubt. So to me, um, it probably takes a lot of trust. And that's why Twitter isn't a good space to have those conversations, because there is no benefit of doubt, because you don't know each other. So it takes almost like the context of relationships for her having fruitful conversations of disagreement. Yeah, I mean, I, I struggle with that question in general because, yeah, I just, I think arguing on social media, <laughs> I, I actually haven't seen it bear that, like bear much good fruit, to be honest, any especially fruit, with people you don't know. Yeah, any fruit. Because um, it's, it's hard enough to argue with someone you have full trust with, you know, to argue well and, and find kind of, common ground and understanding, let alone someone you have no idea um, where they're coming from. And and so, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with Tom. I, I do think, um, I, I think the, the way that our culture is with technology, I think we feel like we have to learn how to argue well online, but I would much rather um, encourage people to kind of invest in relationships offline so that you can have fruitful discussions. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Arguing online is people are just trying to like own some or trying to meme someone, you know, there, it's never a two way communicate or a two way conversation ever intended on both sides. So I never mm -hmm. find that to be ever a helpful place. Mm -hmm. um, one thing that was really helpful, I think Rich Viotis literally posted today was he just said, I think a church would be a better place if everyone just added, what do you mean when you say by that into their vocabulary? Yes. Because it's just like I've realized being on Twitter as an observer, it's such a crazy place because you're realizing, let's just take the, the word woke. The word woke for someone that went to master seminary and someone that goes to fuller seminary means two completely different things. And they're just like a complete miscommunication happening. So I always find that to be helpful just to, like, like Tom mentioned, clarify what do those phrases and words mean for that person? Because you can grow in kind of empathetic knowledge that way. So I find it to be helpful. But um, yeah, and the, the second question, do we ever argue with each other? Um, I don't like we do in our own ways. Like we, we're very different in our theolog uh, theological standpoint. Like I mean, the, the most obvious is like Tom is, uh, a, I shouldn't say staunch. He is a complementarian and Jason is an egalitarian. But I think I, we hope our podcast is a way to show like it's not even arguing it's just trying to understand where we're coming from 
Um, we might have gotten this before, but might be able to flush it out. Uh, what makes an effective associate pastor and what makes an effective lead pastor? So I'm an associate executive or I don't know what my title is, but I'm not a lead. Uh, Tom and Jason are former associates that became leads. Uh, Jason specifically a worship. So I guess for you guys, what's your perspective on that distinction and any wisdom on, on how associate or lead is an effective pastor? I'll start giving my perspective uh, as an associate slash executive pastor in my current context. Um, one thing that I've realized that makes me effective is your job is only effective as much as you trust your lead pastor. Uh, meaning, I don't think an effective executive or associate pastor is ever going to change the church. It's impossible. Uh, if you try and change the church on your own to your own, I don't know, you went to a conference or a book you read, uh, it's 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 just going against the nature of the church because ultimately the buck stops with the lead pastor. And I, every church I've been to, the lead pastor will set the culture. So to me, the effective an effective associate pastor is trusting your lead with his vision or her vision, in some cases of the church, and helping them in your own giftings achieve that vision. That is my perspective. I find it to be helpful. Um, I think an effective lead, you guys can answer better, but I don't know. Any, any thoughts on that too. I think for an effective lead, like what I'm learning right now, um, one thing that's good is to provide clarity. Like, cause where, where does the buck stop? And I'm finding as a lead, you, you kind of don't want the buck to stop with you. You want to point to something else, but you know, there's some things only the lead could clarify. And I feel like just when you, when you lay out like the direction and like the systems, uh, the lead kind of has to serve his staff well by being clear of like expectations or being clear of like direction. So that's one, that's the kind of more, I guess, work level. Uh, one thing I heard recently though, that I feel like is interesting is leaders, they will absorb all the pain, but uh, offer all the blessings to his staff. And that was like an interesting idea. Like you absorb the pain that's there um, that you're experiencing, that the group experiences, but you don't let that leak. Um, you instead provide blessings and encouragement to them. Doesn't mean you deny the pain, but you absorb it and you don't let that discourage or break you down. Um, and I feel like that's in that sense, the associate or the executive pastor, what they can do is they could sense like what those pain points are though, that's are that you kind of like notice or see in the church and you help try to provide relief for that. And I feel like for me personally, it's hard for me to ask an associate like, hey, can you do this for me? Because, you know, it's hard. You just don't want to burden them. I feel like good associates, you don't kind of need that. It's like a relationship. They're able to kind of sense that and to help in those ways where you see the lead falling short or their gifts are not really suited for that. And so I know, you know, shout out Sam Bay. He's our church's associate. He does a great job, but he just could tell like the things I'm not good at and he would just take it on his his shoulders because he's good at that stuff. And so I feel like there's a, a synergy when you're able to notice those things about each other. Mm. Oh, that's helpful. Jason, anything else to add? Yeah, I, I, I do think clarity of um, expectations and over communicating vision and values is, um, is so important. And I think um, I, I would say like, something that I'm learning as a lead and I'm, I'm starting to learn that this is a reality of being a lead pastor is 
there's there's almost like sometimes I think especially when you have um, a personality like mine, I think it's easy to kind of try to defer like the leadership or um, you know you want to say like oh no 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 but like you almost want to kind of um, reject your positional authority um, but I think that's actually like really dangerous to do that and I think part of being in this role has helped me to realize that there's 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 certain things that are just a reality of being the lead pastor mm -hmm. things like how people respond to you when you're in the room how you're received in every conversation how certain things that you say that might be off the cuff or like whimsical or passing comments can still be received or perceived um as like things that like either directives or things like that and that's like such new territory for me but it's something that i've had to kind of learn through trial and error sometimes in terms of like okay understanding that yeah like for better or for worse um there is so much stuff like so much perception that comes with the role itself and kind of learning how to be comfortable with that and owning it and embracing it you know life was so much easier as an associate yes Life is great, especially when you be pastors, Jay Song. Shout out to Jay. <laughs> um, yeah, and and even things like I think feedback, you know, mm -hmm. like inviting, creating spaces to invite feedback, because understanding that most likely associates or your staff members will not readily give feedback no to way. the lead, you know, especially if it's Asian context, you're gonna kiss, oh kiss yeah, that butt all the time. Yeah, so you know, I think certain things it's really up to the lead to set that culture and to you know um give permission um to invite feedback and things like that and so yeah yeah so ho hope that's helpful especially if you're in either or category uh, listening um so th that's all the time we have for our mailback questions for today uh if you have any questions feel free to dm us anytime on instagram but for the bulk of our episode today uh really excited to kind of I don't know, with our 50th episode, just kind of reflect uh, a couple things on the pod, but also the church. Um, I guess to give some context, like we started this purely out of friendship, but just out of our own thoughts of the church as a whole. Not that we have the answers, as we always say, but just trying to figure things out together. So we want to do both in our 50th episode. Um, so first half, was we're going to kind of stay to the podcast. Um, one question I want to ask you guys all was with 50 episodes in our you know arsenal, uh, what was your favorite episode personally we recorded so far? And who was our favorite guest? I Okay, minus Mark Sayers, because I'm pretty sure we might all say Mark Sayers. But um, if it is, that's fine. But yeah, I guess favorite episode so far and favorite guests uh, minus Mark Sayers for you guys. I feel like we had, I had the most fun with Jono. Oh, Jono. Jono was fun. Jono yeah, was, was fun, man. I feel like he could be like a fourth podcast host like we just jive with them yeah shout, shout out to Jono I mean it's, he's like doing his own spoken word tour right now so shout, shout out to Jono <laughs> I'm assuming I'm not allowed to say my brother oh no, man totally like, that, that was fun too that was fun that was fun I totally forgot we had Justin yeah I because you know like we talk all the time but you know it's rare that I, I'd be sitting with my brother and ask him about his, 
to retell his story, you know? Sure. And sure. so it was actually like a really nice opportunity even for me to hear to yeah. hear it again. Um and then I liked that particular episode also because it was such a departure from a lot of the kinds of guests we'd had on before that. And so Yeah. Yeah. I thought Kristen Dumez was the most fascinating guest though. Yes. She was great. Yes. Yeah. Because I realize there's so many things uh, that she talks about that I don't fully agree with, but she's so smart and she was really like fun to talk to that I was just really curious about her. So I, I love talking to her too. Yeah. I think for me, the most, man, not like the most insightful was Dr. Langworth. Because uh, mm -hmm. she, you could just tell like out of all the guests we had in their expertise, she had the most experience in that. I mean, she like basically changed this the world psychology right with that stuff mm -hmm. but yeah shout out to dr langberg i think that was really helpful to just understand spiritual abuse too um but overall my favorite and always will be was our first interview with mark sayers because that i feel like was a, a turning point in my own ministry life too mm -hmm. so and we probably got half the guests we got after that because we had that first interview with mark that's, sayers that's true he was the one that kind of put us on the map yeah. well we have yeah. We had one guy, John, uh, Jason. Hey, oh, hey. I'll edit that hey, out. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Good times. I, I can't ask who our least favorite guest is. That's too. That's too. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so that that was probably our favorite guest. Uh, one question I had for all three of us: If we could go back and start our podcast all over again, is there anything you would change uh, in regards to our podcast for all three of us personally? I don't think I would change anything. I probably just change like the way I talk because I don't sometimes like the way I sound. <laughs> but besides that, like I would, I think the format's great. I think it took us a few episodes. I mean, I haven't listened to the first few episodes, so I don't even know what they sound like. But at least how I feel, like I remember feeling really kind of anxious those first few episodes, um, and I felt like much more free, um, you know, as we've gotten to this point. Yeah. You know, well, I felt really anxious even about being like open about some of my theological views. Um, it's a safe space, man. I don't know, know outside of this, but it's a safe space that we're we have all three of us. So yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I agree with Tom too. I I, think, I, mean, I don't know if I would change it, but if you listen to our first episode, the most glaring thing is the crickets in Tom's uh, garage. <laughs> Yeah, it's part of the charm, though. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. Because Tom, that was like the first time using a mic like that, too, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I mean, I don't want to change that, but it's kind of like it's been a inside joke with some of our intense listeners. So yeah, no. So far, we've we've been loving it. Um, another question, I guess, to kind of kind of piggyback off that, what, what do you? What's is there anything you wish our listeners knew about the podcast? Just internally as we've been recording. I mean, shout out to our listeners. I mean, we're not, again, we're, we're not huge. But Jason always mentions we have a very, uh, not large, but very loyal uh, fan base. So we don't take that for granted. Um, honestly, we did not start this at all thinking like, oh, we're going to have a fan base. Like, we just wanted to be able to talk during COVID. But given that, yeah, I, what's one thing you wish the listeners knew about our pod, I guess? Any, any, anything from all, all three of us? Well, one thing I would say is I was talking to somebody recently about this because he wanted to start a podcast. And I was telling you guys about this earlier. Uh, but I was saying, like, I feel like if you try to start a podcast for the sake of starting a podcast with someone you respect, but you don't really know, I'm not sure how long that will last. I feel like you have to genuinely enjoy 
talking to the people and it doesn't seem like I'm doing a podcast tonight, but it's more like, oh, I'm chatting with like friends or people who I would chat this way if I, there was no microphone in front of me or there was no camera. And that, that's one thing that's fun is we literally will chat for like half an hour before and then the best conversations like after the podcast is done and our, we're joking, like Patreon account begins when we start talking and going and riffing. And I think that's the only way it's sustainable because you know how many podcasts started during COVID and it ended after a few months because they did it just to start a podcast. But I feel like it should come organically. And I think that's how most like networks and uh, and partnerships like last. It's you're not just trying to do a network. You're not just trying to start a ministry, but you genuinely like each other. And that kind of makes it more life giving than life draining. In other words, we're having fun. It's fun. Yeah. So, yeah. I, there's times where we for sure spend more time after the call talking than the episode itself. Mm-hmm. And we've had some... Yeah. Well, well, we'll save that we, for the future Patreon. We've had some great rec- We record this at like 10 p.m. on Sunday nights. So yeah. that's a dangerous time for pastors, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Dude, especially during the middle of COVID when we're all just like sick of everything. Yeah. Those are, there's a... There's a only three of us will know this, but there is a picture of Jason's face that we have saved that we were just talking about something and it is just so near and dear to my heart. But yeah. Uh, Jason, anything you'd wish our listeners would know about the podcast? Um, I mean, one is, you know, I, I mean, I can't speak for you guys, but I, I, in some sense, like, especially at the beginning and Eugene, you know this, like I always felt a like big sense of imposter syndrome because I don't, I don't really feel like an expert on anything. And sometimes when I think about podcasts, I feel like, you know, I, you know, I think there was this pressure to be, to like, at least know some, like know a lot about one thing, you know, but I think, um, I don't think any of us come into the podcast with that kind of posture at all. Um, and in fact, I think all of us are like everyone else right now, we're just kind of rediscovering certain things, learning, exploring, um, questioning. And, uh, you know, I would hope that people kind of show us grace in that regard, mm-hmm. because I could see how once we hit a hundred episodes, we might actually disagree with ourselves, you know, um, <laughs> even some of the things we said, you know, in the earlier episodes, because I think with every guest we've had as well, like every guest has been so important in, kind of shifting my perspective or at least helping some helping me see sometimes another side of things that I never saw before. And so, um, all that to say, you know, I hope everyone listening knows that at least for myself, I don't consider myself an expert on anything by any means. So three betas We're three betas. Remember (laughs) (laughs) we could change our name to that. Um, yeah, no, no, no. Like I think with Jason, like, yeah, I, I hope, Okay, I'm gonna be honest. There are there are episodes where Sunday seven p.m. I'm like, "Yo, what do you guys want to talk about?" And we just figure it out from there and record. So yeah, I hope Eugene you know- used to at least send us stuff like <laughs> at least an hour before the podcast. Now yeah. we get on. You know, and he's now, like, We're talking about it. Was a Google before it was a Google Doc with all these questions. Now it's a Google Doc just blank. <laughs> no, yeah, at, at least the mailbag questions. Okay, you know, but honestly, I I guess the biggest surprise for me is included to that. Where like I felt before, I had to have a rundown. I was like, dude, I need to be ready because you know, for me, I'm kind of like the the switchboard for for the for all three of us. But I think the biggest surprise, at least for me, or the, the one thing I wish listeners knew, was like 
Oh, there's a genuine friendship that we have, and okay, one like I'm just I, I'm getting lazier with the podcast, but two, I think there's a trust that like oh we always just figure it out together, um, whatever topic we're talking about. So now I really don't have any fear of like, dude, I think we can talk about any topic because all three of us come. At least for me, like I'm always curious what Tom and Jason will say about this topic. I'm also curious if I can get them in trouble by saying something. <laughs> <laughs> um, recording that too, but Ooh, uh, one, one thing one, one thing people should know is uh, people always ask like, "Dude, isn't it like hard or a lot of work to put it together?" And I always say, "Not for me and Jason. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's all it's all Eugene, man. Eugene edits it and records it and sets it up." Yeah, I could I, not have done this podcast if I had to do what Eugene. What you, yeah, does. yeah, yeah. I just no. I just edit the, the the dangerous parts out. That's all I really do, <laughs> and it's getting a lot easier because it's, I know I know when those times are coming. Uh, but yeah, so I I hope you know like this isn't a professional rundown like all this stuff. It's just three friends, legit. Sometimes the night of just talking about, hey, what is, what do you think about the church? So I I would hope you know that. Um, last question I guess for the podcast and reflection, what's uh what do you feel like is the biggest Surprise or lesson, either or, um, from doing this for 50 episodes. If you think about it, we have been doing this for over September, like over almost two years now. So it's it's been a while. I think we started September 2020, and it's, it's mm. August 2022. So almost two years of this. So I guess for you guys, yeah, either biggest surprise or just biggest lesson from, from doing the pod uh, together. I would say the biggest surprise, and it's not because I don't love you guys, but the biggest surprise for me is that like I'm still doing this. <laughs> and and uh, and I say that because I don't like commit like you know as a lead pastor like you know with with all the things that come up and you know just I thought that once we reopened the church and things were getting busy again you know there was a part of my part of me that doubted like my ability to stay committed but this is where like to back to Tom's point really the friendship and just wanting to spend time um like I I know for a fact that if it was just a pod even with someone that I like an acquaintance even someone that I respected at at this point I think I would have been like I I don't think I can keep doing this Mm. but I think part of the draw every time is just to spend time um, with these guys. And so um, I'm actually like very proud of the fact that we've gotten to 50 episodes, you know, and we're still going. Two years, almost two years. Yeah. On top of that, it's, I agree with that too. Another surprise is uh, the people willing to come on. Mm. Like, dude, we got some legit people, man. And people ask like, dude, like, like, what did you do to get them on? So just ask them. <laughs> and so it's surprising how like nice people are. I feel like when you see quote Christian celebrities on Twitter or their books, you think they're unapproachable, but dude, like they were super cool through like emails and they were super cool when they came on. And so uh, that was surprising. Like how, well, I guess it shouldn't be surprising because they're Christians and they should be gracious, but it was cool to see that, oh, they are gracious. Like they seemed, and they were just like awesome to talk to and willing to give their time to us. So that was really cool and surprising. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say that. I think the biggest surprise and almost lesson is just, like, being able to get, quote-unquote, like, spiritual heroes on. Like, especially, like, at least for me and Jason, like, guys like John Mark Comer and John Tyson were, like, tremendously helpful, at least during COVID. 
um, mm-hmm. for like learning this new like world of formation and this new tribe. Um, but just getting them on is like, oh, if you're like, don't people don't put too many people on a pedestal because you just realize they're human. And I think the biggest lesson from that too is like, not I'm not taking anything away from those guys, but I think talking them together, just realizing like, oh, they're human. Like they're not these like ultimate unit, like Tim Keller is a different guy, but there's like, they're not like these unicorns that like have it. Like a lot of them are like, dude, that's a good question. I don't know. And I think just seeing that and the humanity of some of these quote unquote leaders uh, has been really surprising and helpful even to me. Um, so that's been yeah. kind of like the biggest thing. And one thing I'll add, and, and I realize this, the more guests we've had is how kind of like, um, how uh, I, I don't want to use the word silenced, but how little people know and understand actually about the Asian American oh, yeah. church and the Asian American Christian experience. Like for us, it's like we grew up in different Asian American churches, but we had such a, like a homogenous experience, you know, and a lot, I think a lot of our listeners, they can connect immediately wherever you are in the country. If you grew up in like a, an immigrant church, like in a Asian, in a youth group, you know, you had the same kinds of experiences, but when we have guests who aren't Asian American and they're like shocked when we tell them certain things, um, I realize just, you know, that there is something valuable and it's been really affirming um, that we have this podcast and this space as well. And I think, you know, the, the parts of the pod, doing the podcast that have been very encouraging are when people say, man, like we've never heard anyone give voice to our experience and speak about things from you know our perspective and at first it kind of could feel very niche like we're all but you realized how many people are out there who've just never gotten a chance to hear that perspective said aloud and so um yeah that's been really eye-opening for me too i think just the fact that one of our most listened to episodes i mean outside of dating because that's just kind of like a big hitter was processing the cam em church life like mm-hmm. I, that was an episode i not that we didn't take seriously but it was just kind of like almost like oh we'll just kind of you know share our experiences but i think just seeing that i think yeah like to jason's point it is kind of crazy that i think we've realized and you guys correct me if i'm wrong like we've been turning to these people mainly white people like oh they got the answers but we realize like i mean they do in their own context but they have no idea what our context is like Mm-hmm. And just figuring that out together, that's been the most helpful for me. Like, they don't know abuse. Problem. They don't know real abuse, dude. <laughs> abuse, if you want to know abuse, go to the Asian church, man. That's yeah. abuse. Of any form. Of any size. <laughs> yeah. there, there you go. They, they don't know what Otobai is, you know? <laughs> that's it. But, that's it. but everyone listening does. Yeah. There you, know? you go. There you go. So, yeah, it's just understanding that, like, man, we got to own our context. So, hope that's helpful. Um, with that, so again, uh, stay of the pod. We're going well, and we hope to continue this. Hopefully, Jason won't leave uh, randomly. Um, if if he, if he does, he, it's like, oh, we, we, at least he let us know. No, I'm just kidding. I, we we have no plans on stopping. We're just you know, this is something very low Camille on our end. But um, kind of switching gears to kind of end the episode. I just wanted to reflect on the state of the church, capital T. Uh, I think we started this kind of because we didn't know where the church was, especially during COVID, right? And I think now 
we probably are a little more confused, but a little more aware of where we're at and how confused we are, if that makes sense. So I guess for you guys, right, what do you feel like has been the biggest change to the capital T church from since the beginning of our pod? So just to give you context, being of our pod, September 2020, just on the heels of George Floyd and all that happening, and then all the way to August 2022, right? So what do you feel like are is one or the a couple biggest changes that the church has had since the beginning? You keep saying capital T church. Oh. You mean the capital C church? Yeah, yeah, sorry. I don't know. I'm probably thinking like the church. I also am drinking a little bit of whiskey, so that, that might be why. But capital C. <laughs> wait, wait, observation or conclusions? Um, we... either, either or, either or. Uh, let's do observations first, and then I would love to hear your conclusions. I have no conclusions. I don't know if Jason does. I feel like, yeah. <laughs> observations first. The church is more fragmented than ever before. I mean, that was eye-opening when uh, Ray Ortland was saying, like, this is the craziest he's ever seen. So that kind of confirmed, I think, what we all felt. Yeah. And what's interesting is that fragmentation is not because of theological convictions. Even if it's presented that way, it is political alignments. Yes. And we're talking like the church in the West, right? The U.S. church. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Our, um, our circles. Yep. So that's the biggest thing. Um, I think uh, the gospel movement has ended. That, as a, at that movement, you know, that particular niche, that, that's, that phase is kind of done. And it's interesting to see like the guys who still do that. I feel like it's almost like a time capsule. Mm. Like, oh, you're still, and again, never, you never graduate from the gospel, but the way churches kind of do that, it's sometimes some churches feel like they're stuck in 2010. Um, but it's not really reaching the context that's there. It seems like the idea of discipleship and formation is huge. Um, and uh, one thing that's, I don't know if there's uh, a clear conclusion, but it seems like, again, the whole like race and mi minority churches, majority churches, there seems to just be, the lines are forming. And uh, I don't know what's happening, but it seems like something is still happening in that context, especially with Asian churches. I think something's still happening. So there are some like initial observations. Do you feel like um, at Grace Hill that people feel at all what you're talking about? Like maybe even indirectly or still kind of, you know. Which part? Just, uh, just like every, like the fragmentation. Everything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they feel it. I'm not sure if they can articulate it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. But I think people can feel it. Would you, would you ever go to another TGC conference? I go to the women one. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, no, that's helpful. Jason, anything to add to you observationally? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I said this on the pod before, but I think COVID um, accelerated a lot of the things that were already there and that were already happening in the church. Um, I think we're seeing like the fall of a lot of the towers um, institutions, denominations, um, just as a result of a lot of the fragmentation and things like that. Um, I also think there is um, a, a move maybe, I wouldn't say away from, but may, like uh, almost a fatigue of just pure content and a, a genuine craving for connection and relationship. Hmm. Because, I mean, we're in a time when like there is so much content out there um, and I just don't think, you know, that appeals to people anymore. I yeah. think they're just so overfed with content. And so I, I see just even in our own church people, 
just a, a, a desire or a hunger for, for community and for connection relationship. Hmm. Do, at, at citizens, right? Like how are kind of same question to Tom, like, are people even aware you feel of that? Like, or is it like the fragmentation or is it more insulated being in LA? Um, no, I think people are aware of the fragmentation. Um, I don't know that they would right now be cognizant. Like if you were to ask them, I don't know that they would say directly that they're craving community. Yeah. But we have enough like experiences of people asking certain kinds of questions, wanting to join certain kinds of things, you know, like we're, we're just seeing like for a church that historically had such a low percentage of our congregation joining community groups literally we we don't have enough groups to mm. meet the needs of all the people who want to join the join community groups now yeah, yeah and to me those kinds of things are indicators that people are craving it i i don't know a hundred percent that they themselves would recognize that or are aware of it it's almost like less sunday centric right people yes people will, will go to community groups instead of sundays yes yes yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah, even in our community groups last year, we had like 25% of them because they were on Zoom. They didn't even live in California. And I, I, I didn't know like any of these people. So it's crazy because now we're doing it. We said only in person, like the numbers, I'm not a significant drop, but it did drop. So I think it was just so interesting seeing that. Um, That's so true because like we've, we actually have now people, you know, when you when you want to visit a church, you always start with the Sunday usually. But we actually have had people come out to like some of our city dinners, city events. Yep. And that's their first, they, that's, they chose to go to that first yeah. before mm-hmm. going to a Sunday. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of like, I forgot who said, I don't know if Jay, it was Jay who said it. Um, but like, because I think we, a lot of churches have like online um, live streams or podcasts of the sermon, that kind of acts almost like the mm-hmm. lobby. Or the yeah, foyer yeah, now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. It's 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 really weird. Like I I think, at least for me, one of the biggest changes I've seen uh, being in the Bay Area is just this might be more of a, it's a conclusion I'm making. So I don't know. You guys can chime in. I feel like just whatever we're doing, it's we're we feel like we're lagging behind the curve. Like it's not working. Um, because things have changed so much. So just for example, like, I think before it was just like, oh, have small groups and they'll get connected. But now it's like, no, 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 no. That's like almost people are sensing small groups as like, oh, but I want to come out to this church. And then they'll show up and be like, well, I need more. Like there has to be something more. So at least for me, I'm realizing like, and, and Mark Sears talks about this in his book a little bit, but just to program it, like, hey, just do A, B, C, D, E, and then you'll have a True North member. You'll have a True North disciple. Like that is out the window, at least for mm-hmm. me. That's the biggest change I've seen. Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. it's almost disorienting because it's like mm-hmm. everything Mark talks about in that book is like, at least for me, a practical reality. Mm-hmm. So I think just seeing that is just, it's it's kind of, con- and I think the lack of institutions to help us now makes it even worse. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to be honest. I don't know who to turn to or read or, you know, like the gospel coalition, like it's uh, Tom said something like they're, they're eating each other up already, like with political issues. Mm-hmm. So I think because of that, it's just this weird, gr- like, again, to use Mark's words, it's a weird gray zone. And like, I just, 
it's a weird time to be a pastor in church. Wouldn't you also say that, you know, this was probably already starting to happen, but post COVID and a lot of the most recent scandals, there's just like a, an increasing, like enormous distrust of pastors in general. Um, I think especially a distrust of like, like that celebrity pastor, super charismatic um i don't know like i like 10 years ago that was so people it felt like people were attaching themselves to like a pastor figure or like you know a hero but i feel like these days i see a lot less like a lot less of that you know carl carl lentz if he started again like this year like there's no way he would i think be able to get big I think when the gen, like even especially non Christians see that they're like, oh, I, I I don't want that. Tom sent an article even like how the Catholic club or the Catholic Church is like the new cool thing, right? Even Shia LaBeouf like becoming a Catholic monk or just a convert. Um, and I Tom posted or someone posted right like, why do you like this so much? Well, like unlike evangelicals, they're not trying to sell you a car. It's just like mm-hmm. that's crazy, but it's yeah. kind of a reflection yeah. of the time. Yeah, Shia LaBeouf is kind of like the epitome of like the times we're at where he, you know, he didn't want to go to a car salesman, but almost like he wants to experience like transcendence. Yes. And um, I feel like people now, they don't want like that celebrity pastor, but they want more of like a priest, a priest figure, meaning like an intercessor on behalf of of God. And not to say that that priest is your intercessor, but you almost want like a spiritual mentor. So he's not that person who's on stage, who's like this public figure, but you kind of want somebody to like show you transcendence and to connect you to that. So it's interesting, like the Shia LaBeouf, he's like the product of this new wave of Christianity that's taking place. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause like mm-hmm. five years ago, Shia LaBeouf would totally be at Hillsong, New York and be like, Oh, you know, <laughs> that's right. but now it's like, right. oh, he's, he's, he's on Catholic radios doing these interviews. So it's, it's so crazy and disorienting. I should have um, stayed Catholic, man. I should have <laughs> stayed Catholic. Maybe. Um, <laughs> But I guess with that, or Tom, like with that too, what are there any conclusions you feel more confident as you mentioned? Yeah. Uh, white churches will not change. They, they won't, they won't change. Mm. But uh, you I, thought, I, I, we thought they would change for us. Yeah. We thought if they hired the Asian guy that they'll become more diverse and mm-hmm. you know, I might get flagged for this, but I don't think it's going to change. I think they'll just become white churches with Asian guys. Like yeah. that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, the idea that we're going to go back to pre COVID and people will, you know, let's get back into it. Like that's not going to happen. It's going to be a new type of church expression that takes place and churches have to kind of figure that out. And I don't think it's, you're changing Christianity. You're just changing how to engage people to Christ because people are in different contexts. So you can't force them into the old. You have to kind of figure out, well, how do we reach this new context that we're in? Um, I think even though celebrity pastors are dying out, uh, I still think spiritual abuse is there mm. and, and it's not going to change. That's actually one sad conclusion. Uh, I talked to I think I talked to one of you guys about this, like, I don't know a single spiritually abusive pastor or scandal or pastor who got caught in a scandal who's still not pastoring. Yeah. Like Driscoll is still pastoring. Tulian still pastoring. Uh, James McDonald is still pastoring. The only people who aren't pastoring who got caught in a scandal, they're dead. Like Ravi or uh, Bill Hype was, he had, he retired. But those who were in those scandals, they're still pastoring. So the evangelical machine is still happening. So long as you're gifted, you will still find a crowd. So that's very discouraging as well. 
Um, so there's some things that are there that are sad realities. But, you know, another thing, too, is a, a final one that I think could conclude is people are still searching, though. It's, it's crazy how in the midst of COVID and people stopped going to church, there's still, at least in my context, a lot of people who are craving meaning and craving something bigger, craving transcendence. And so there is an interesting time that we're in right now that COVID, as much as it depleted maybe Christians, it kind of, I felt like, awakened something from people who have been exploring for a long time to want to find something deeper, like the Shia LaBeoufs and so forth. So I feel like uh, it's an interesting season where you're not going to see Christianity go away, but there's still like a, a, a curiosity about it. And uh, I'm curious how churches will respond. Mm. So I guess from that, like, let's just kind of focus on our context of Asian American, mainly Korean American churches in California, or just maybe West or East Coast. There's a lot of, I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of burdening observation and conclusions that we've all made, right? I think the one hopeful thing that Tom ended with is, but people are still searching. I totally agree. I totally believe that. Um, I think the fact that, at least in my church, we had probably 40% leave during COVID. Not for like, oh, I left the faith. Some did that, but some moved. But the fact that we almost had no one, number stayed stable because the same amount of people came from different places speaks volumes. So it's, you know, we're not in a hopeless situation. And as Jono said, like, you know, we believe in a, a God who is resurrected. So we always have to have that type of hope. But what is the way forward, like, for our churches? for Grace Hill, for Citizens, and for True North. Um, I One thing I do worry about is the isolation because of these tribes and institutions uh, dying down is not going to help us in the future. Um, I think three of us are unique because we always talk to each other out of our friendship and out of the podcast. But I guess just overall, like, yeah, what do you guys see as the way forward? Is it a network, denomination, just talks, conferences? Like, I, I don't know. I'm just curious to pick all of our brains on that. Well, I can't really answer. I'm not sure of, of the answer to the question, like in terms of network denomination. Yeah. You know, I would love to see um, networks of past like pastors and churches form out of friendship, kind of like this. I mean, I think that's the best, most sustainable way and actually the most beneficial way. Um, but in terms of like, um ministering to our specific contexts like for us one thing that and and we don't know if this is true but one thing we a hypothesis that we have and this kind of speaks to a little bit of what mark sayers was talking about i feel like covid almost kind of was a there was like a weeding out of like the nominal believers you know where um yeah, in, in some some ways, like we're back to like that remnant mentality. And I think there was a time in the church and even in our church where kind of our mindset was always what's the like lowest hanging fruit, lowest barrier of entry? Like, let's how do we get the most people into the door? And now I feel like that mindset has shifted because I feel like the pandemic has already kind of weeded out the nominal believers. And so like now a lot of our conversations as a staff have, have been, how do we actually raise the bar? Yep. You know, how, how do we, you know, like how do we make small groups, not just like mm-hmm. hangouts weekly, but how do we create spaces for intentional discipleship? And sure. what does that look like? You know, and that probably will weed out more people, but we feel like maybe the way forward for the church now, 
you know, I, I, I think the days of like, you know, trying to just, you know, create like a be as, I don't know, I don't know if seeker driven is like the right word, but I almost feel like those days are over. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like people who come to the church are people who are looking for more. Um, mm-hmm. They want to go deeper. And so um, I feel like it's it, that at least that's kind of what we're thinking and what we're doing right now. Hundred percent agree. A hundred percent agree. I heard someone tweeted this where they're saying um, it's kind of related. They're saying uh, it could have been previous generations. The Great Commission was go, but it, right now the Great Commission it could be stay because hmm. now it's not just about go and make disciples, but it's teaching all that Jesus has commanded. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the the ethos, the the spirit of the early two thousands was like let's go, let's church plant, let's let's raise all these churches, let's network and so forth. And again, all good, but we're kind of seeing the the fruit of that, which is, man, you got like shallow disciples and they're like, and COVID kind of revealed that they all drifted. They're not there anymore. And so now it seems like at this cultural moment, the, the, the cry is like, well, we got to plant roots in our people. We can't presume they are rooted already, but we have to establish those roots because it's a, it's a new generation. And um, I almost feel like now it's not just about connecting people because we know they already love the Lord and are they're catechized and so forth. But no, we have to like catechize our people now because they, they, yeah. they want connection, but let's catechize them because this is something that the church uniquely can offer. And I feel like uh, the way we catechize them has to be different too. Like it's different than in previous generations. So it's a unique challenge that's there, but it is a deepening that needs to take place. And I feel like um, people even whether they know it or not, they want that. And uh, mm-hmm. there's a book called Deep Discipleship that I read recently. And that book was really helpful because he was saying like, dude, like push your people. Like that you'll be surprised how willing they are to grow and get discipled if churches were willing to, like you mentioned, Jason, not lower the bar, but to raise the bar for them. And not everyone's going to do it. And that's mm-hmm. okay. Like you don't need a hundred percent buy-in, but get that 25% buy-in and you'll be surprised what that what happens in your church. Yes. Tom, do you want to explain catechizing to our listeners? Because some of them might. Not oh yeah, sorry. Catechizing, like meaning, like you kind of showed them the uh, the ba- it's like the catechism, but you know the basics of uh, for for new believers uh, what Christianity is. I feel like um, we presumed everyone kind of knows who enters into the church, or we don't even talk about it. We just want to get them the doors and fellowship. But I feel like we have to re-catechize them, but not do it where you read just a new city catechism. But like, how do you do it uniquely to reach this new generation of people who need to be catechized? Yeah. It sounds like there needs to be a desire for transformation above just attendance or just mere purpose. Yeah, and, and it, it kind of goes back to like what Jason's saying. It can't, like the whole old school catechism was like information, mm. but it's like, no, it has to be like transformation. Mm-hmm. It has to be like real. And like, there has to be like this sense of, um, I like the word that like Comer uses a lot. He always talks about like, what's reality? Mm-hmm. Like what's true reality? Because once you, if you absorb that, then you're going to, your life is going to shift and change. And so we can't just have them have knowledge, but their lives have to really be in line with what reality is. And I feel like churches were seeing, they're trying to figure out how to translate that to this new wave of people who are looking for that. Yeah. Like even to, to piggyback more, right? I agree with everything that's been said. And I feel like what we've been trying, like not, that's not new, right? Like it's not like we weren't doing that before. But I also think the mode of getting there has to change. So, for example, we just talked about retreats. Tom just came back from retreat, so he's, like, dead tired. But we so – every church was revivalist in a way pre-COVID. Like, if you think about it, every church had a retreat once a year, and you would bank. Like, why did you have that retreat? Honestly, let's talk about it. Most of us did it. It was like, oh, 
hopefully at that retreat people get connected feel charged up get a revive like almost like even if you're not charismatic what you're trying to do is a mini revival for the church and then send them out and then just wait till the next retreat college ministries that was always the same kind of concept that i was oh college retreat you know and again retreats they're not bad it's not but i do feel like that mode of revivalism just doesn't work anymore because people are just so numbed out to information like you can't i don't know you you can't before you get a guest speaker and it's like oh it's so nice to hear someone that's not my pastor nowadays like everyone's listened to tim keller's full discuss like full sermon archive like and that's what you're competing with so even if you have a retreat unless you're bringing in i don't know just someone top of the line uh in terms of a preacher like the content's gonna not compare to even the christian content out there let alone the secular content mm-hmm. so to me it's like that's why again i harp on this a lot a lot of this formational stuff that we've been talking about i think it's so helpful and i talked about this with jason too we as the korean american church like have an aversion to some of that from our trauma like you know morning prayer it's like oh our parents mm-hmm. do that i don't want to do that but like not i'm not saying to bring that back but maybe that's kind of the answer to, not the answer, but a helpful way to do ministry for a lot of our people, to push mm-hmm. them, as Tom mentioned. For example, there's a finance study at our church. Uh, there's a really good uh, friend that's attending that uh, at my church, and he was like, yeah, I'm going to be honest, this stuff, like, so whatever. But in the beginning, the leader said, I want you to come for 10 weeks straight, no matter what. And he was like, dude, that's the first time I felt challenged at True North. And I was like, okay, sorry, as your pastor. But secondly, <laughs> he was like, but you know what? I The content, like, you know, it's not stuff that's new. Like, it's just content. But just coming every week to that type of commitment is changing me. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Because before it was, we had an aversion to that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's just like, how do you, the question I think to me is like, how do you bring those elements in without, again, turning to our, previous generations of like maybe legalism and all that but there's some kind of medium that we mm-hmm. gotta find that i think that's out there yep i'm not sure you felt this jason but when we did our leadership cohort like you know we did like content we read articles and so forth but one thing that our people said they actually enjoyed the most it wasn't the reading it was our practices yes mm-hmm. and we did practices where we said hey let's practice this in our lives and they were saying like that was the most interesting and helpful part of the more than the discussion, more than the readings, more than the teaching. It was like the practices that they were challenged to do. Yeah, no, totally. And we because it, it was funny because we realized like we have people in our in our small groups that for the last like seven years, their prayer request was like, I want to read I want to read the Bible more. And but then we realized like we never as a church created a space and challenged them to just read the Bible right there. You know, we were always like, oh yeah, we'll pray for you. You know, and like, <laughs> you know, again, it, it was like, I think people, yeah, they, they uh, right now, especially kind of maybe, maybe it's a sign of our times too, and where there's so much disorder and chaos. In some sense, this is where kind of like the rule of life, things that are, things that, help us order our lives, organize our lives around, yeah, what John Mark Homer calls like ultimate reality. Um, I think people are are craving that, you know, because everything just feels so out of whack. And it's like when you do those things is when genuine deep connection happens. Yes. Because so often before like small groups was, hey, sign up to get connected and that's the end all be all for that group. 
But it's kind of like, okay, you eat a couple of times, you might talk about the sermon here and there, but then that's kind of it. And it's like, are you really connected with the people? Like, be honest. Like, if you're listening with your small group, do you feel connected? It's like, sometimes not really. You know, when I did feel connected was like when I was on a mission team. Again, this is a separate, you know, whole different thing. But when we're like just grinding, maybe in abusive ways, um, there was like a connection where I'm like, dude, I still talk to those people all the time because there was a that was genuine connection. So I think for the church, I feel like I wonder if it's a flip of so often so many of our things were centralized on let's connect people. But no, it's like, no, get your people deeper into God and his presence, and then connection will naturally come. Mm. And I feel like the, the the question then is like, how do you practically do that? Well, Tom, I'll, I'll, sorry, go ahead, Tom. No, go ahead, DJ. I was going to ask you, like, I don't know, we can add this out if your church doesn't know about this, but your whole idea of like a formation group that you told us, yeah. I was always interested on that, of like what yeah. that would actually look like. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, to piggyback what you were saying, uh, the whole idea of like, hey, let's get connected. That's great. No, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's probably needed. But one thing we realize as a church is there is a clear ceiling of how much you can go. Like there's, you don't have to meet every week to talk about your week. Like after one week, <laughs> nothing changes the next week. Like it's the same thing. So to do the whole, like, let's meet, let's update. What's the yeah. highs and lows? The highs and lows are exactly the same. Yeah. And uh, and I realized like, oh, that's kind of the, the, the shortcomings is connection. We haven't, we didn't think beyond connection. We just saw the front door, but what's beyond that front door. And if you don't have anything beyond, then you hit the ceiling really, really fast. I've even thought about even like Sunday worship. Like if you're going to Sunday worship again, just to hear a sermon, then, you know, you, you've heard all the sermons, you heard all the stories that the pastor gave. So if that's what you're going for. There's just a clear ceiling that's there. So what are you doing to help people in Sundays encounter God? Where do you can help people in community groups encounter one another in, in a deeper way? And so I feel like that's kind of the new thing pathway that we're trying to move forward with, which is what's a way to go deeper? Because the current forms, the ceiling has been hit. And it's mm-hmm. probably because we adopted a lot of the forms that were used in the past that um, are now not really reaching the people today. With that, uh, I guess a couple questions to end, because I mean, we can keep talking about this, but I want to be able to kind of center it. Um, what, what do you feel like? So we talked about how people, our people are still yearning for more. But post-COVID and just kind of the state of the church, what do you feel like is a general spiritual health of our people? Um, just how they're doing in their spiritual connection with God, uh, with their own soul. Like, do you guys have any feel on that? Any, any general direction, positive or negative with your people? Yeah, like, it's funny because I was going to say, in some ways, like, I th- I think it's, like, right now, the the mental, spiritual, emotional health overall of our church is really bad. Hmm. Um, but, but, and I guess I'm struggling because I, at the same time, I do see a, a genuine hunger, um, you know, and maybe they're connected, you know, maybe... There, there is an aspect of like reaching a certain point of like feeling like, oh man, I, I am, I am not in a good place, and you know, really, kind of like um, seeking God. So I, I, I see, in some sense, both like the what COVID exposed in people's emotional, mental, spiritual health, yeah. but then also I'm so in some sense I'm like, oh man, that's 
that's hard to hard to see but then on the other hand i i'm encouraged to see like i think a genuine desire you know to grow deeper um yeah yeah i think at our church um this could be just more our church covid made everyone kind of like spiritually jaded in one sense but now that we're back um it's not even us being back that I feel like is making people more alive. I feel like people are just going through changes in their life. Like we have a lot of young families and when you have a kid that just destroys what you thought you knew about life or when you get married or when you lose a loved one. And so I feel like because they're going through reality and like tragedies that are there, it's forcing them now to um, seek out something different than what their current reality is. Now, I'm not sure if, uh, if they're searching in the right area, if they're point, looking at the Lord or they're looking at the gospel for that. Uh, but I feel like reality is pushing them to see like what they're doing right now doesn't work. Um, and I think COVID almost put a pause to everything. But now that life is moving forward, it's causing them to be curious and to seek something greater than what they were seeking before. So I sense that happening with our church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I was going to even say like, thinking about this a little bit more i don't even think we have any good gauges there to to kind of figure out our spiritual health of our people that's mm-hmm. why often with covid probably we've made it worse that like i don't know i feel like there should be some sort of gauge that we have uh, but so often i don't know it's just kind of like oh yeah like let's just talk to some more small group leaders etc etc et so i'm just realizing more and more like oh i we as a church and as our leaders have to figure out also ways to gauge people's health like mm-hmm. you can't just trust their instagram feeds or their attendance anymore because mm-hmm. again like covid kind of proved that doesn't mean much and i mean that in the best of ways so for me it's always been like dude i don't i don't think people are doing well but especially in my area it's a little bit different because the people are much more bubbled from covid like it was a very wealthy time for a lot of people um but trying to figure out how do you gauge it well that's a question i've been asking too so I open ended question, but um, yeah. Last question I wanted to ask you, us to kind of end with was, you know, in the beginning of COVID, we did this uh, in September 2020. Just kind of, there were a lot of changes going on. Changes have gone even worse. What is the update on our tribal situation? Like, what? It, well, how do we define ourselves as a podcast and even individually? Because you know, even individually, we're so different. Or is that even not needed anymore? Is it just kind of like we're nomads and that's what it is? And maybe that is our tribe. So I guess for you guys, like, what what are your thoughts on our tribal situation? Because we get asked that a lot. I feel. I mean, I'm I'm still reformed. I'm I'm a five point Calvinist. I still, I'm not sure if I like the term as much because of the baggage. I'm still complementarian. Um, at the same time, uh, I, I, I do understand the kingdom is bigger than my tribe. And I feel like the way moving forward is to embrace that, that the kingdom is bigger than your tribe. And I feel, it's weird, even though I have those identity markers, I still feel homeless. Like it's a homeless feel, and I wonder if there will be a home that ever takes place for a particular niche like that. Um, because you could be theologically aligned with somebody, and yet so yeah. aligned, not aligned with them at all. Um, so I still have like my convictions and my theological stances, but it's funny how tribalist I still feel. It's funny, like it feels like you feel more at home 
with Jason, who has an egalitarian Fuller graduate. Oh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just hundred percent. That's it's an interesting observation. Yeah, yes. Jason. Any any update on your own end? No, same. I feel tribeless as well. Um, but but I don't feel um. I feel tribeless, but I don't feel alone. Um, you know, like obviously with you guys, um, and yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I think over the past couple of years, I I think before even my relationships, I felt that they had to be cultivated along like tribal lines. You know, I, I could only Mm. be friends with, or especially in the ministry world, not, not outside of that, but like. I could only kind of like ally with, for example, pastors who shared all of my same theological convictions. And I hold so many of what I would consider maybe secondary tertiary issues so much more open-handedly. And um, it's been great to just get close to pastors and, and leaders and people in ministry, just purely along relational lines. Um, And I found um, those relationships to be extremely life-giving. And so it's actually been really great um, to be in community with people who, yeah, like who maybe aren't fully 100% aligned with me theologically, um, but we agree on all the main things and we all have a deep um, burden for the church and, and um, you know, and to see the gospel um, still go out. And, and so I, I don't know, like, I, I, I think like I was really, maybe if you asked me this question, like even like a year ago, I would have felt like a certain sense of anxiety around the fact that I didn't feel at home in any particular tribe. But right now, at least today, I feel okay, Hmm. you know, because I, I feel like I have a good support system you know, I have friends in ministry. Um, I have people I can call if I have questions, things like that. And so, yeah. And it might be a, a healthy thing that you don't have like a tribe that you're fully bought into. Cause then that becomes, you know, it could, we've seen like what that results in like this narrow mindedness. And sure. I feel like what's, again, it doesn't mean you should have a tribe. Um, but it's almost like the relationships matter more than like the alignment that you have with people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess last question is, and maybe Tom already answered it, like, do we as Asian American churches need a tribe? Like, what, what, uh, or is what we're going at kind of like what Jason mentioned, sustainable in the future? I would argue uh, your local church is more than enough to receive all the spiritual benefits that you need to mm. walk in this journey of faith. Mm. But if you don't have a tribe, tribe you can't do too much work in the kingdom beyond your local church sure like the impact you make and also leaves your church a little bit fragile because you know even like if you stick it in like the ancient world like the whole purpose of tribes is so that you don't get conquered <laughs> you don't get killed by enemies or if you have a tribe you could advance you know yeah. and yeah. so if it's just like your family then you're happy but you're just fragile yeah, yeah um yeah. so i feel like for 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 us You'll be, you have, again, all the spiritual benefits you have in the local church, but you're in a fragile place and you also can't advance much just in your church. And so mm. to me, that's kind of the big question is, are, 
the extent of what we can advance is to the extent of how willing we are to connect and work together. Um, so that's kind of how I find my situation to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's a, I think that's a great way to end. Um, we really, I mean, people have asked like if we're a tribe, I don't, I, I don't even know what we are. We're just three friends. But I think from that, I hope more leaders of the church our age and, and younger can not worry too much about man which theological tribe i belong to but where are the genuine friendships along ministry that i can make because i think that's where you can get where tom's getting at where there's a healthy tribe not a political tribe or a tribe trying to conquer and swallow people made, uh, but genuine tribe just kind of building on our foundation so hey if that's you like just keep making friends don't worry about theological distinction as long as as long as they believe jesus is god you know I think they're good enough to be a friend. Like, I'd rather have a nice egalitarian friend than an a-hole complementarian friend, even though I don't even know where I'm at the spectrum. So I hope that's helpful. Uh, you know, I hope our pod is also like a, a, a beacon of hope for that type of friendship to continue in the church, especially in our Asian American context. But yeah, shout out to our wives to also preview... Um, there will be, I promise, and I, I know I made a lot of promises to our listeners, but I promise, promise in this one, there will be an episode with just our wives and not us included. So this, it's taking a little bit of time to schedule that and make that happen. But shout out to our wives. That episode is coming sometime in the future. So, well, hey, thanks for listening. Uh, we hope you've been blessed with 50 episodes of our podcast. Thank you so much for listening to us for 50 times. But with that, hope you're blessed and hope to see you in the next episode.